This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. We are talking travel this hour. It's ten past one. Talking travel, Sally Lucas, we love it. We do, Jane. Let's think about somewhere nice like Borneo. Now, Borneo, people probably uh, know as being synonymous with, of course, the orangutans and trying to save them and, and the deforestation that's happening there because of palm oil, which is a dreadful thing. And we all must stop using palm oil to save these little creatures. But it's got that, and, of course, it's famous for turtle hatching as well on the islands of Borneo. But the other thing it's famous for is its mountain, which is Mount Kinabalu. Now, it's no mean feat to climb it, and people, don't think a lot about it. I guess they think of Kilimanjaro and Nepal as their two big mountain climbing areas. Um, and then, of course, there are wonderful Alps in, in Europe and, of course, in the Andes. But they actually do as well, would you believe it or not, Jane, a run on Mount Kinabalu. <laughs> like, isn't it bad enough to climb a mountain, let alone run it? How, it, how high is it actually, Sally? Well, it's actually um, 4,000 odd, I think 4,095 metres. Oh, that is high. So it's not a small mountain by any stretch of the imagination. But these, I better not call them, you know, nasty names, unusual people <laughs> who decide they want to run it. And apparently you've got to do it in a certain time or you're, you're considered a straggler, like four and a half hours. Whereas just to climb it is, is a mammoth effort in itself and it's more difficult than people realise. Um, and, and part of it's on what they call a via ferrata, which is an Italian word which translates to um, basically an iron road. So you get so far, you don't have to do this bit, it's an option extra but it's on these sheer sort of angled cliff faces and you're roped up with helmets and everything and you're actually using a series of chains to get yourself up to the top and it's fear of heights you probably wouldn't do it um, but you're all buckled up you're it's all strapped up you have a guide goes with you so you needn't choose to do that last bit of it but the good thing about it is um, it's actually got huts and things there. It's quite unusual and even toilet facilities. You think most of the mountains you climb these days, you've just got to go bush or put up a tent. But they've actually erected, and even there's at a certain altitude, I think it's about halfway, there's a little sort of restaurant eating place as well. So you don't have to, all you've got to do is take your day pack. You don't have to take your food or anything other than snacks that you might want and water. Um, and the other thing is it is a actual um, a World Heritage National Park as well because of the diversity of the wildlife, flora, flora, fauna and bird life as well, of course. So it's quite fantastic. And the view, once you get up to the top, and of course they start this at night time so that you get to the peak for sunrise. And then you've got that awful painful descent, as we all know. I mean, it's, it's heart-rending to go up, but that strain on your knees and your legs coming down can almost be just as bad. And then you've got the descent to come back down. So it's how how many hours you complete it is up to you but there's a time when the gates shut off and you've got to be down by that time but at least you know there are huts and places you can get to along the route which, which is quite unusual I, I think I don't know of many other um, oh, often there are shelter huts shelter on, huts but these are sort areas. of actual lodges mm. you know as well as and having the toilet facilities as well which is quite good well, presumably that means you could stay and make two days you can actually than... yes you can actually stay overnight if you wish and do part of the climb one day and then continue on and then come back down so it depends at which way you want to do it now if you're wondering where Borneo is of course we should just say that I suppose Jane you fly into Kuala Lumpur and of course it's just south east if you like of the main part of Malaysia and you fly into um, 
Kota Kinabalu is where you fly into. Now, you can actually have a lovely holiday there by staying at one of the nice hotels that are just out of Kota Kinabalu on the water. There's some beautiful properties there, the one called the Razaria, which is adjacent to a private orangutan sanctuary. And if you stay there, you have free admittance in and you have time with the orangutans as well. Um, you can also go into, though, like wild forested areas where you will get to see orangutans in their natural environment as well. And as I said, the Sepulok Islands off the top of Borneo is where you can go and see a lot of turtle hatching, which is wonderful, massive amount of turtles. It's a very unspoiled, beautiful part of the world, and the forestation is quite dense and thick. Um, but once you get to the top, you've got this incredible view, like you have, of course, of any mountain, and you don't realise the beauty there because you're starting at night, you know, till you get there the next, and suddenly you look and you see this vista of other peaks and jagged mountains and, you know, just, just wonderful. So it's just something to consider. It's not as far to go. It's still a, 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 you know, a pretty big mountain in its own right. So if you're not feeling like you want to go to Nepal or across to, to East Africa or anywhere that's a bit further in airfare you know, costs, this is a nice way of getting there, fly via Kuala Lumpur, and then at the end I think you deserve a nice massage, a hot bath, and probably a week's relaxation at one of the beach resorts. So you can do that combination. And, of course, if you don't want to do the climb, you can still do a day trip to Kona. Kinabalu, Mount Kinabalu, and just do some gentle walks around the, the base of the mountain. You're still going to see wonderful flora, different frog varieties, bird varieties, butterflies. So quite a lovely part of the world and not spoiled by tourism. So just put that one on your list if you're looking for a bit of an adventure-based holiday. And we are talking travel on to NURFM. We're coming back across the sea, in fact, Sally Lucas, and uh, coming to somewhere else that is also in the sea, but closer to land. Closer to land, yes. Lady Elliot Island. I mean, we are so fortunate in Australia with our beautiful barrier reef and the myriad of islands we have that are dotted all along it. Now, um, Lady Elliot Island, if you're not sure where it is, it's 80 kilometres um, offshore from Bundaberg and about five kilometres from Australia's continental shelf. So the waters around the island are perennially, can't even say the word today, Jane, perennially clear and full of life. So that's the beauty of it. It's actually more like a coral cay. Um, and how its history went is that it was officially discovered in 1816 when the ship Lady Elliot sailed by on its way to Sydney and the ship was wrecked on a reef off Cardwell in North Queensland on its return journey. By 1863, the Queensland government offered a contract to mine the island's guano deposits, and that marked the beginning of the island's decline into wasteland. In 1873, a lighthouse was built to guide miners' ships to safe anchorage, and it still stands there today and is is a heritage feature of the island. Now, in 1874, the guano mining ceased as the island's vegetation had been completely um, removed. Goats released on the island reduced the island's surface just to bleak, bare ground, all the birds had left. So it's quite amazing when you think about it. The Resorts Nature Centre now has a few interesting photos looking back at how it really looked then, barren and stripped. So after years of neglect, in 1966, a revegetation program was initiated by the lighthouse keepers. Um, the goats were shot, and in 1969, a tourist recreation lease was granted. And by 1985, the Lady Elliot Island Echo Resort was launched. So the res- new resort proprietors, proprietors have taken the enterprise um, sort of to making sure that they're self-sufficient and environmentally aware of everything that they need to be. Um, they've got a new solar power plant there, which began operating two years ago, and it supplies the island with 70% of its energy. And there's plans to make the island... Um, self-sufficient within a few years. So that's just to give you a little bit of history on Lady Elliot. fascinating, isn't it? Isn't it? 
Yeah. Little things we don't know, isn't it, about some of our areas. So, and to go over there, I was just reading an article recently. Has someone that went and was absolutely blown away by the beauty of the water and the clarity, the absolute clarity of the water. And um, he, they were out on a dive boat, and, and the instructor just sort of said, "Scissor, kick off the boat, grab the mooring line, swim towards the bottom, and there'll be manta rays at the first bommy on the left." It sounds like he was giving driving instructions doesn't it but as they said they, they didn't even need the instructions because even though it was in 30 meters of water they could still see the ray you know it was just amazing so that clarity is there so it's really absolutely excellent for diving and snorkeling but also with bird life as well so all the birds have returned now and you've got all sorts of birds there that, that come during nesting time you can be absolutely just surrounded by birds during the nesting they've got like knotty terns that come in their hundreds and hundreds and apparently there's all sorts of beautiful tropical birds and the curious little uh, brown boobies the shearwaters um, just a whole lot oysters the pied and sooty oyster catchers on the beach um, but in the actual diving the other thing they did which was interesting this this instructor must be a bit of a card he said let's go turtle tickling I'm thinking turtle tickling, as the dive master suggests. Anyway, um, and he said that bad dive days just don't exist at Lady Elliot, by the way, so he's not biased, is he? There's no such <laughs> thing as a bad dive day. But they said just keep your hands away from the turtle's face because they bite, but you approach them from behind and you tickle its belly and they think it's just a big cleaning fish. So they did this, and so I can't believe it that... Um, they came up behind and then the person who did this article said it was so soft that it went up to the back of a female turtle and gently reached underneath her right flipper and touched the flipper and, and the underbelly and, and even the, and the actual um, ca- carapace was quite smooth and quite unbelievable. So it's just a wonderful little island to go to. It's all been fully restored now to mint condition and it's ecologically friendly as well and you'll get some beautiful diving experience or snorkeling experience as well as bird life on the island. So just another one of those little treasures in Australia to consider to do on one of your holidays. And Talking Travel will be back next Friday after the 1 o'clock news on 2NURFM.